Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church located in Katy, Texas. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing that faith with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message. God bless your week. It wasn't fair. They wished it was different, but there's nothing they could do about it. One soldier from Georgia who is a part of the group commanded to move the Cherokees from where they were in Mississippi and the other part of the United States to Oklahoma had this to say about his experience. He said, during my lifetime, I fought in the Civil War I have seen men shot to pieces and slaughtered by the thousands, but that Cherokee forest march was the most cruel work I've ever known. It wasn't fair. It was terrible. It was a trail of tears to be sure. Do you ever feel like your life sometimes is kind of like a trail of tears? I'll bet the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. Grief comes in waves for lots of different reasons. And... The big question, I suppose, is how do you handle it? Do you handle it focusing on yourself? Do you handle it focusing on Jesus? Because we can't avoid a trail of tears forever. Life on this earth, Jesus has said very clearly, in this world you will have trouble. But he also says very clearly, take heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. So keep that in mind today as we ask God to help us grow in Christ-centered cross-carrying during the times in our life that are not as pleasant, as well as during the times in our life that are more pleasant. We want to focus on Jesus all the time. We're going to use some words from the book of Job, chapter 1. Job suffered an incredible amount in rapid machine gun fire succession on one terrible day. And you might even call it a terrible hour or perhaps even a terrible 20 minutes. Because as you heard Kurt read the first reading today, you probably caught the while he was still speaking phrase being repeated. While he was still speaking, hearing about the oxen and the donkeys put to the sword as well as all the servants, he heard the next terrible message that all of his sheep, thousands of them were dead, burned up, crispy critters, and all of the servants. And while that servant was still speaking with that bad news, another servant came and talked about camels being raided, thousands of them hauled off, gone, just like that. And all the servants put to the sword except the one that was bringing the bad news, and as if all of that weren't bad enough, that Job's multi-million dollar enterprise had now gone up in smoke in a matter of moments, that tens of millions of dollars worth of animals, thousands, for sure hundreds of servants, thousands of animals, tens of thousands even, all of it gone, just like that. He could have handled all of that without much challenge if it hadn't been for the last one 
which certainly was the greatest grief moment. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Seven sons, three daughters, a close-knit family, a close-knit Christian family. Now all those ten kids were in heaven. Just like that. Now, the first thought you might have as you read this is, wow, what did Job do to deserve that? Boy, God was really cruel when he's allowing all of this evil. And you might be surprised to find out that Job was a devout Christian man. The Scripture calls him blameless, one who feared the Lord. You might also be surprised that as one who is devout, blameless, fearing the Lord, Job perhaps was the richest man on planet Earth at the time. Yet, even though he was not a casual, half-hearted businessman, but really successful and hardworking, as well as not a casual, half-hearted Christian, but very devout and all-in, leading his family in a way that honored God while honoring God Himself. This suffering came in an untold degree, and it's really hard to imagine what it was like. It certainly sent Job staggering backwards. We'll talk more in a minute about how he handled it well, as best as anyone could have. For now, I'll give the summary. Verse 22, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. We'll dig into that more in a little while. But for now, how about we think about some sinful ways that you and I might handle shocking difficulty, a trail of tears, some terrible loss, one after the next, Really, the summary of it would be if you handle that by being me first while you're grieving. That's sinful. And there's so many different ways, so many different possibilities. And I, ple- I, I, I want to make sure I don't communicate in a way that is being misunderstood. I'm not saying don't grieve because that also can be a me first thing to insist on denial and not grieving. No. The grief process is real. Jesus himself grieved. Job grieved. What I'm talking about is grieving while you're centered on Christ, crying, going through the process and the emotions and the terrible difficulty, or grieving while you're centered on yourself, perhaps growing bitter and sullen and withdrawn. The sinful part is what we want to talk about now and ask God to help us avoid. One possibility would be if you just stay in denial, act like you can still do whatever you want, find a coping mechanism that isn't healthy for you or anyone else, but really proceed as though God is not a factor. Just build up a wall, keep marching, pretend nothing's wrong, even though deep down so much is wrong and churning. But it's being suppressed. That would be a me-first way to handle it. Another one would be to blame someone else. And maybe it would be blaming someone with a grudge 
And it is their fault like the Chaldeans who swept down on the camels or the Sabaeans who attacked the oxen and the donkeys and you're filled with a grudge to those people and you want them to feel the pain. And because God probably won't pay attention, you have to. That would be a me first way. That's not good. Or you could handle it by being me first and blaming someone and it's not their fault. It's called misdirected anger. It's way too common in our world. Stepping up from that sin perhaps might be if you blame not someone else, but you blame God. And you are angry at God when you look at Him. Your fist is in the air. You get hardened. And you think God is cruel. And against you, your enemy, not your fortress in whom you can trust. And you might even get into the mindset that is sinful that would say, I trusted you and you let me down. As if all of that weren't enough of a challenge to make sure we don't spill into during times of loss. Also, it could be where you want to feel guilty and you insist that you deserved what happened and there's probably more to come where this just came from. I'm sinful. I'm wrong. God doesn't care other than He wants to hold me accountable for it and look at all this mess. I know it's all my fault. And then you live in guilt and shame and fear and and just wait for the next shoe to drop. Those are all me-first ways to handle a trail of tears. None of them end well. And they're all actually, even though they're very different, they're all actually a different way to pile sin upon sin. Instead of being me first and letting your feelings drive that sometimes are so me first you don't even realize it, let God's Word drive. When life isn't fair, let God's Word drive because you want to talk about not fair? How about living a perfect life and then ending up on a cross to pay for the sins of the world? If anyone has a legitimate gripe for something not being fair, it would be Jesus, right? And yet, He was willing to put up with that unfairness. Jesus was willing to transfer all of your sin and mine and the sin of the world to Himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid for it in full. It's never coming back. Jesus isn't suffering eternally, but He loves us eternally. His finished work is where we can rest our souls. And Jesus' truth says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, whoever believes in Him, will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Me. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's love for us doesn't go in cycles. It doesn't ever stop or fade. Jesus says, the one who trusts in me is never put to shame. You never have egg on your face, embarrassed that you put your faith in the wrong place when you trust in Jesus during a good time or a bad time. 
He says, in this world you will have trouble. But in me you have peace. Take heart, I have overcome the world. It will always be true. And so when we let Jesus' truth that stands firm in the heavens drive during a wave of difficulty, our disposition changes entirely. We draw closer to God through the trouble. We ask Him to keep His peace that passes understanding welling up within our soul in spite of what's going on or what might come next. Instead of blaming others, we look to serve them. Instead of blaming God, we worship Him and cry to Him. Instead of dwelling on the here and the now, we dwell on the home in heaven Christ has won for us. What a wonderful way to live. Christ-centered during good times and bad, knowing this good time, just a cycle. This bad time, just a cycle. Christ's love where I'm focusing forever. Now let's get back to Job, and I'll show you how, in spite of this terrible hour, he did that. He did that. Look with me at verse 20, after all the bad news came, even about all of his kids being in heaven. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He didn't harm himself. He didn't harm anyone else. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, signs of grief. He admitted reality. But then he worshiped the Lord. He cried out for help and sustenance, but was worshiping the Lord, focusing on Him. He yielded to what the Lord wanted and how the Lord would get him through it. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. Even though I'm the richest man in the world, that's true. And I accept it and I hold fast to it. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised right now because he's all I've got. And yet, that is enough. Job denied himself, picked up his cross, that heavy thing, and followed Jesus. Now, if you read the rest of the book of Job, it's over 40 chapters, you would find a lot of mixed emotions. You would find, you would find Job sometimes here, and sometimes saying, why me, God? Sometimes saying, I wish I were never born. And all through the mix of emotions that anyone has going through different processes and stages of grief. Yet, as he was going through grief, Job held fast to this. Naked I came, naked I'll depart. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He denied all those me-first tendencies and he followed Jesus, setting his heart on things above. In Job chapter 19, he said, holding fast to the home in heaven waiting for him because of Christ. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand upon the earth. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. That's what Job said. So that familiar Easter hymn, some of you know well, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's based on what Job said. 
an Easter hymn based on a guy who suffered like this because that's where his faith stayed through the ups and the downs. God will help us get there too. And to finish the message today, I'd like to share a story about someone whom some of you know, Sarah and Anar Abbasov. They were members of our church a few years ago. The last three or four years, they've been helping out get our, our new mission started, Hope Lutheran in the Heights part of Houston. And they gave me permission to tell this story about what happened to them back in August of 2017. Now, Houston people think of August 2017, and you quickly think about Hurricane Harvey, which is what happened then, of course. Well, Sarah and Anar were expecting their second baby right around that same time. And as the due date got closer, the storm also got closer. And the day of the storm, that Harvey's raining, raining, raining down on our community here, was the day that Sarah and Anar's due date was, was uh, present. And so a day or two before that, as they were seeing the due date come closer and the hurricane come closer, they were scrambling to try to figure out how to do an at-home birth if needed. Praying, praying, praying. Asking us to pray too as the church family. Well, the due date came, the storm's raining down, I-10 is even shut down. The road from their home to the hospital. Then the rain stopped just enough or at least let up. I-10 cleared. Sarah started labor, got to the hospital. In time, the baby was born. Wow, what a gift. And a little after midnight, some tests were done, as they always are, and a breathing trouble was detected. So Anar, the father of little Luke, the baby who was just born, Anar baptized the baby right then, one or two in the morning. I got there either later that morning or afternoon, a few hours after the baby had been born, baby Luke. And we talked about the promises of God through the time of uncertainty. We talked about how there's boundaries in life that you can't control. At the time, we didn't know what the test results were going to be from the, the breathing problems. And we talked about how hurricane, baby coming, roads flooded. What can you do about it? except pray. And I'll never forget what Sarah said as we're talking about that. She said, you know, it was scary, of course, and we didn't know it was going to happen, but there was also a sweetness of the peace to it. Honestly, what could we do except try our best, pray and wait? Nothing. And there's a sweetness to that peace, being totally dependent on, on God for him to work it out. Well, the tests came back and Baby Luke had some veins in his heart correct, not connecting properly to, to the chamber of his heart. He had to be life-flighted to the medical center. He had open-heart surgery before he was even 24 hours old and didn't come home for nine weeks. Everything is doing well now since then, has been for a long time. Luke, I guess, is what, six years old now? So he looks like a normal kindergartner or first grader. I'm not even sure what, what grade he's in, but, but uh, you would never know that happened to him at the beginning of his life. But reflecting on it, and I was texting back and forth with Sarah and Anar yesterday to make sure that I had my facts correct, and they talked about how the mix of emotions was always there, as I'm sure it was for Job on this day and going forward for quite a while. 
There were good times. There were peaceful times. But there's also sadness. There's grief. There's exhaustion. There's days when you don't think you can make it. There's times when you feel consumed. And yet, through it all, there's the sweetness of the peace that passes understanding in Christ. And they can look back on this time in their life, Sarah and I now, and say, the Lord matured our faith in a hurry. And He brought us closer to Him than ever before. That is Christ-centered cross-carrying, isn't it? God bless you as you hold fast to that. Good times. Enjoy them, but they're just a cycle. Don't hold fast to them like they're eternal. Bad times. They make us cry and grieve, but they're just a cycle. Don't act like they're eternal. What is eternal is God's love for you. The promises of forgiveness in heaven. So deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow Jesus. Amen. We know your time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you be so kind as to click to follow our show and give us a five-star rating? That's a quick and easy way to help us get the message of truth out to more people. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.